My name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today. It is another episode of Movies for Lent. This is week number two. So Jared, tell us about the movie that we're going to be chatting about. Right. So last week we met Wednesday night. We were talking about the movie Arrival. If you'd like to go at your own pace with this, just go back, listen to that episode. We've got questions there for you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get you caught up this week with uh, movie two. It's called A Hero, and this is a uh, an Iranian movie, um, and it was an official selection at the ninety fourth Academy Awards. So we'll see how it does, right? We're gonna see, and. Uh, um, this is a, a, a powerful film. It is a very human film. And it, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into big detail here because I want Jay and, um, and Adam to introduce it. But I have been doing the Movies for Lent thing with my son. He's a big film buff, uh, just like me. And it has been a lot of fun to watch these movies together, to think about these movies together. And uh, so we've been joining the Wednesday night um, Zoom calls. If you'd like to do that, that's fully available on Facebook. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, so we encourage you to do that. But if you got to listen in your car and you kind of want to go at your own pace, do your own thing, then that is totally fine. So here is Jason Tripp, Adam Klein, talking about the movie A Hero. Yeah, hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to our second week for movies for lent as we continue to walk the road to resurrection and prepare ourselves for uh, holy week and easter weekend and to do so by um, investigating the intersection between film and faith and so uh, we had a lot of fun last week with uh, with arrival and all the incredible and dare i say uh infinite uh discussion that could have uh gone on and and a wonderful film. But uh, this week, um, we are looking at Asghar Farhadi, Farhadi's um, 2021 film, A Hero. And really excited to dive, dive into this. And again, just uh, way of the road, just a reminder that uh, for those watching, those listening, those participating, uh, we, uh, spoiler alert, here's your polite, we're just assuming that you've taken the time to watch this wonderful film, which uh, can be streamed on Prime Video. Uh, and so, because we're going to just uh, open the doors for commentary and reflections on the narrative and everything. So, yeah, so in, in a moment, uh, Jason will share with us uh, this week's reflection just to uh, break the ice and, and uh, lead us into some discussion questions. But our uh, theme for this week, our topic to go along with the film is temptation. And our passage, our lectionary passage is uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And so I'm going to read that passage for us now, reading from the NIV. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. 
And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Adam. And, uh, Hello and welcome everyone to week two of our Movies for Lent journey. And as Adam mentioned this week, we have the opportunity to engage uh, with the film A Hero uh, by acclaimed Iranian director Asghar Farhadi in, in conversation with the scripture passage we just heard from Luke's gospel. Uh, before we dive in, and we're going to kind of take a, a little bit of, of a swim in the deep end tonight. Uh, there's uh, a few threads I want to tug on and hopefully lead to some, some good conversation. I just want to take a couple minutes. I think it's important to put this film into its sort of Iranian cultural and, and political context. And so personally, over the years, you know, I've really grown in my appreciation of, of Iranian filmmakers and films and international films uh, in general. And working as a, a filmmaker in a nation with a longstanding history of social and, and political upheaval in an authoritative regi regime that, that presents you know, both unique challenges and opportunities for everyone but specifically unique challenges and opportunities for the poets, the prophets, the artists, including filmmakers like Mr. Farhadi. You know, movies not only have the potential to entertain the masses, as they all do, but to help us you know, better understand, engage, and, and empathize with the characters and, and cultures presented on screen. And so in the case of, of tonight's film or this week's film, A Hero, a uh, hero and, and other Iranian films, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of how movies can be sort of powerful and, and dangerous forms of what we might call protest art. You know, Farhadi has been public and tactful in his critique of radicalism in his native Iran, as well as radicalism around the world. And one of his previous films, he's a, he's a two-time Oscar winner, one of his previous films that won Best International Film, uh, the, the Salesman. And when that won the Oscar for Best Foreign Film in 2017, Farhadi actually boycotted attending the ceremony as a protest to the U.S. travel ban laws for Muslim countries under the Trump administration. You may remember that in 2017. In his written acceptance speech, he, he wrote these words. He said, my absence tonight is out of respect for the people of my country and those of other six nations whom have been disrespected by the inhumane law that bans entry of immigrants into the U.S. Now, dividing the world into the us and our enemies categories creates fear, a deceitful justification, justification for aggression and war. Now, these wars prevent democracy and human rights in countries, which have them themselves become victims of aggression. Now, filmmakers, says Farhadi, can turn their cameras to capture shared human qualities and break stereotypes of various nationalities and religions. They create empathy between us and others, an empathy which we need today more than ever. 
And that statement might be even more on point and necessary for us to hear in 2022 than it was uh, in 2017. So Farhadi and his fellow filmmakers in Iran, they've had passports revoked with some even receiving jail sentences for producing films which critique the totalitarianism of Iran. You know, this was the case with my personal other favorite Iranian film of the year, a film called There Is No Evil, which is a scathing and emotional indictment of the regular, all too regular executions that take place in Iran and are meted out by civilians who are forced to choose whether or not to participate in such evil. The director of that film uh, made the film in secrecy, smuggled it out of the, of the country to the world and received a one year jail sentence as consequence. And so I share all that to put this film in, it, in its context and to say just how powerful these films can be as protest art coming out of the country they come from. And so empathy, you know, is at the heart of this film, Hero. Uh, I think all of Farhadi's films, if you want to explore some of his other works, uh, they are. And in, in a sense, empathy becomes sort of the antidote for our theme tonight, the theme of temptation, some of the more subtle and insidious temptations that we face and the characters in this particular film face. Before even watching the film, you know, I found that the poster for the movie, and if you haven't noticed the poster, maybe you want to go back and take a look at, at the movie poster for this film. I found it to be quite fascinating. You know, a quick glance at the movie poster implies pretty clearly that, you know, this tall, dark, and handsome uh, protagonist in the film named Rahim, played by Amir Jadidi, Looks like the, the quintessential hero of the story. And well, for those of us who have seen the film, well, it's true that indeed there is much to admire in his character and his courage uh, throughout the film. Uh, the director, Farhadi, he, he does not paint the moral choices of the characters in this story with black and white brushstrokes, but with many shades of gray. You know, as the story unfolds and the many layers do unfold throughout the journey, you know, we get acquainted with each of the characters and we realize that, you know, those we are predisposed to view as the heroes, like Raheem, are in fact deeply flawed. Well, those we are preconditioned to view as villains, uh, Baram, the vindictive creditor, uh, have some redeemable qualities as well. You know, this is the genius, I think, of a hero and other films by Farhadi, the ability to disorient us, the viewers, you know, leading to a greater sense of empathy and the realization that all of humanity possesses uh, the potential for both goodness, truth and beauty, as well as immorality, dishonesty and ugliness. Uh, confession time. I need to confess that that midway through my first viewing, and I've seen this film multiple times, my first viewing halfway through in a moment of sort of sobering self-awareness, I found myself guilty of drinking that us versus them Kool-Aid. Um, it's easy to empathize with Raheem, the protagonist in the story. I mean, he's, he's sentenced uh, to debtor's prison after his business partner leaves him high and dry with the seemingly heartless, vindictive creditor Baram showing no mercy. You know, it's easy at the outset of this film to root for Raheem especially after his noble deed of returning the found bag of coins. Well, it's easy to sort of grow in our despise for Baram, the, the angry, vengeful creditor. Of course, as we hang out with these complex characters throughout the film, Farhadi does a masterful job of, of challenging our perceptions and assumptions of who are the villains and who are the heroes in this story. You know, just as Jesus in the, the gospel reading we heard was tempted during his 40 days in the wilderness, uh, so, too, is temptation lingering before each and every character in this film, whether it be pride, jealousy, greed, 
or slander. You know, temptations abound in practically every scene of the film. And that's really the case in our lived experience in the real world. You know, after my most recent rewatch viewing of this film, Hero, I was reminded of an experience I had uh, many years ago. Uh, I think it was probably 10 years ago now at a conference I attended in Michigan. One of the conference speakers uh, was a professor of psychology, a theologian, author. Some of you might be familiar with his name is Richard Beck. And he was uh, speaking on themes in his book, The Slavery of Death, a book I, I highly recommend. And he was talking about the relationship between love and fear. And during this conference, he was piggybacking off the work of a colleague, a fellow psychologist, someone else you, whose name you might recognize, Ernest Becker. And Beck unpacked another passage of scripture I want to explore for a couple of minutes, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And, and he unpacked, it was one of those light bulb moments in my life. And I, and I read this passage of scripture in New Lake, like it was deeply profound. And I think it does dovetail with the film and, and the theme of, of temptation this week. I want to read the scripture, Hebrews 2, 14, 15 reads, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, being Jesus, uh, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free all those whose lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And last week in our discussion about arrival, we talked about mortality and the fear of physical death, but Beck in this conference and fleshing out, engaging with this passage of scripture was discussing something he and other psychologists call uh, neurotic death anxiety. Uh, not a physical death anxiety, but a neurotic death anxiety that's common to all humanity. A neurotic fear of death of what we deem to be valuable, what we deem to be life-giving, what we deem to be identity-forming. And this cuts across cultural lines, whether in Canada or Iran, we all, whether or not we know it, we've been formed and shaped in cultures that construct various hero systems, systems which define for us what it means to be successful, what it means to be heroic. And in the movie A Hero, the cultural hero system is very much uh, attached to the pursuit of honor and the avoidance at all costs, uh, the avoidance of shame, whether it's personal shame or shame upon the family. And many of the temptations the characters face in the film are related to the cultural hero system in which they live, in which they've embraced. You know, the temptations of pride and greed and jealousy or dishonesty, those are amplified uh, both here and there by our lingering neurotic fears, fears of losing our significance, losing our value and meaning. When those things become threatened, um, that can lead to violence, that can lead to chaos as we see in the film. So when, when the characters in the film, when they live lives held in, in slavery by the fear of death, the result is often scapegoating. And that's, a, that's another theme we see at play, I think, in this film, this blaming and scapegoating. When the film is tensions and chaos escalate, you know, both individuals and groups, both in person and via social media, resort to blaming and scapegoating the other. And, uh, you know, in attempting to, to blame and scapegoat, and in the film we see uh, it's the prison administration, we see the, the charity organization doing this, as well as various individuals. You know, in doing so, they, they try to preserve their sense of honor and hold on to their power and privilege through victimizing another. 
you know, this sort of scapegoating idea and the scapegoating mechanism, I want to throw it a, another name, someone who's been sort of a, another hero to me, uh, is, a, is an author and a cultural anthropologist uh, by the name of René Girard. And according to Girard, the, the primary means of, of cultural conflict resolution, we see this at play in this film, is by uniting against an arbitrary other. And that other is excluded and blamed for all the chaos. And we see this at play in various times throughout the film. And so I, I see a hero as a, a quite a fascinating exploration of these, these cultural hero systems, uh, this neurotic death anxiety, which is common to all humanity and our propensity uh, to give into the, the subtle temptation to blame, to scapegoat, to create victims. Like the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, these temptations are often subtle. They often go unnoticed, or if noticed, can be easily seen not as temptations at all to compromise our fidelity to God, but to reinforce our faithfulness to God. You know, as we look to the, the, the scripture passage we heard read today, you know, some some of us, maybe we, we choose to literalize those temptations of Jesus by the devil as, as a physical showdown in the wilderness. Uh, to me, however, it seems likely that, that these temptations Jesus faced, like the ones I face, like we all face, are won or lost between the years in the, the battlefield of the mind. Like us, as well as the characters in the film, Jesus was tempted to adopt a, a cultural hero system that was under the sway of the principalities and powers. The temptations of Jesus were not to engage in activities that may have been understood as overtly nefarious, but by subtly distracting and they're incompatible with the, the character and the kingdom of God. Now, the first temptation, of course, you know, turn these stones into bread. That's a subtle temptation to reduce the gospel to a social justice program, providing physical nourishment alone without nourishment to the soul also. Um, the second temptation, throw yourself down from here, right? That's a, that's a temptation to entertain the masses using spectacle and power. And of course, uh, this third temptation is really to endorse the use of violence and scapegoating for the sake of doing good, which is essentially what bowing down to Satan, the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy entails. So both the temptation of Jesus, of the Jesus narrative and films like a hero, they can serve as sort of catalysts to turn the mirror towards our hearts, towards my heart and soul to evaluate you know, our own neurotic death anxiety, to process the cultural hero systems that we live in. And of course, how the ever-present temptation is always there to sit in the seat of judgment, blaming and scapegoating others. It's a reminder, a powerful reminder, a necessary reminder that we in fact live in a world that is not as black and white as we might be led to believe, but in fact can be called what others have called a VUCA world, V-U-C-A, an, ac an acronym, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. So Farhadi's masterful film is, I believe, a powerful reminder uh, that both the, the capability of heroic goodness as well as the pervasiveness of temptation are common to all of us, including Jesus, who was tempted in ways we are and can both emphasize with us in our weakness as well as empower us with uh, the grace and mercy that we need in our various times of need to liberate us from the slavery of the fear of death creating empathy between us and the others, whoever those others may be, uh, and empathy to echo for Hadi uh, that we do indeed need today more than ever before. Thanks, Jason. 
Yeah, you gave us, well, you uh, <laughs> you were right to give us the disclaimer at the top. You you uh, were giving us a lot to chew on, um, and it's fantastic. Um, even even with the heads up that I may have had of looking, peeking at your notes, man, you dug deeper and uh, really appreciate that. Um, the, 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 the stories of the hero, I, I just want to build off that. I want, I want, I want to build off of the, 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 the cultural heroes that we're projecting because I love the dynamic, at least, at least where the story of a hero really hits home uh, the two times I've watched it is the dynamic of the elder or the parent and the child. Um, and then to put that question of what's the value of the hero, what's the projection of the cultural hero in within that relationship and dynamic, right? Um, and you can think of it immediately, personally, just thinking about how we raise our children as parents and and what what values or what what uh, in a Christian home, if if Jesus is, if that is the way we look at it, of the model of how to to live and and engage with the world, uh, by which ways are we as individuals as we grow, um, falling from that or returning to, to that, reconciling our, ourselves to that pursuit, um, and 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 I think about how so often um, of what is wrong, what is sin, what is temptation, we think about it in terms of just big chunks, um, big stories, uh, or big failures, um, the Ten Commandments, right? We, we, we got to start simple as we are raising our children in, in, in their development. And so, well, here's the 10 rules by which as long as you adhere to these, then you are following the ways that God has prepared for us. But of course, as we all, we all know, as we grow and, and enter into the world, um, it's far more complex, far more nuanced, far more gray than just those 10 things. And yet, by the end of this film, to me, the thing that really just hits home is the almost the, the, the world-shattering devastation of, of his son's eyes, of of Ramin's son, as he's looking at him and looking at the adults around him, the people who are supposed to be showing him the way in which to live and work in the world. Um, from his young and innocent mind, he already knows that, uh, or is asking the question, can I, can I trust them anymore? Um, can, can I trust them to truly show me what is right and what is of God? Um, film critic Jeffrey uh, Overstreet, he, uh, he, he summarized that's this point of the film by saying Ferrati knows the best way to break our hearts over the failures of adults is to place a child among them and let us watch him with dawning horror how corrupt his elders really are. Um, anyway, that that to take that and, and to bring that into my own space and to think about the ways in which um, you know, I have failed my children either directly or indirectly as a role model and the role models around them. We, we, we started this this evening, this conversation talking about who are heroes in our lives. Um, maybe one of the only things I know I maybe I did right uh, in raising my children. They're still at home. They're teenagers. But um, it just became a thing when my, my children were young, when we tucked them in at night, which I don't get to do anymore. I just sent him to bed and said, get out of my way, uh, get out of my space, go to bed, um, get off your screens. But when they were younger and I had to tuck them into bed and put them to bed and maybe say a bedtime prayer, it just became our thing when they were young that as I left the room, 
I said, daddy loves you, but God loves you more. Uh, I love you, but God loves you more. And uh, I don't know when it was, but several years, my, my wife, even for Christmas, gave them all a plaque that just says God loves you more. And it sits in their rooms at different corners. Because at some point we just need, need to acknowledge that like, kid, I'm going to fail you. <laughs> at some point, um, I'm, I'm not going to be your role model or I already am not your role model. You know, don't do what Johnny don't does to quote the Simpsons, you know, like just uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. And yet we have to reconcile, reconcile ourselves and reconcile our children to this reality that we do need someone other to look to. We need a greater example, greater authority, a pure human being, which then, you know, brings us to our passage this evening. And when I, when I, I think about the passage of Luke 4, 1 to 13 and, and the temptations present as complex and layered as they are in a hero, um, the thing that kept coming back to me today as I was rewatching it, um, this is a story in which no sin is too small. Uh, no sin is too small. You know, the story starts out with our protagonist um, overcoming temptation and really proud of him and we're on his side. He's, res he's resisted that typical trope, that classic crime of theft. He hasn't done this most obvious of horrible things, um, you know, because he decides not to take the money that his girlfriend has found, but as family pride and social celebration starts to surround him, his resistance to these temptations progressively weakens and his sins over the course of these two hours, his sins grow increasingly smaller and smaller. And yet the accumulative effect brings about greater and greater consequences. And that brings me back to just the passage of Christ. And when I think about the life and the example and the sacrifice that Christ made for us um, for years, for whatever, whatever the, the first time that I thought this or, or the germ of this idea, I, I, I used to always like to say that before we look to the cross for Christ's sacrifice, let's look to his life. Because can you imagine how impossible it would be to live a life free of sin. Every thought, let alone every word and action, everything external, okay, maybe we can wrap our heads around that, that externally he did everything the right, the right way. But internally, as you said, between our ears, the battleground for the mind, what a nightmare, what a nightmare it would be to live a life in which in my mind I would be sinless and maybe this is a bit of a reach for some people but when i began to wrestle with this many years ago this idea of the sacrifice christ made for us in his life leading up before the cross um i i, I think of the portrayal of christ in martin scorsese's the last temptation of christ and i think it's even the opening sequence of the scene where he's in the wilderness here he's it's it's a it's the you know the whatever the the version adaptation of this but the film opens with jesus being portrayed as a man gone crazy losing his mind and when i put that alongside the idea of again winning the battlefield of the mind of the inner world uh, that sounds about right. That looks about right. That Jesus' sacrifice would nearly drive him. And that 
he lived 33 years of sacrifice and then made the ultimate sacrifice for love. Welcome back. That was Jason Tripp and Adam Klein chatting about a hero. Jared, you know, and now all of New Leaf knows that I am really not a movie buff. I'm broken on the inside and Jesus needs to redeem me. But it also means I haven't <laughs> seen this movie. I wish it was like TV shows for Lent instead of movies, but it's fine. So maybe tell us a little bit about a hero without giving away too many spoilers, I guess. Well, Jason and Adam did a pretty good job of describing some of the impact of the movie, how it ties into um, uh, the the uh, passages for our Lenten observances. Um, and so I'm not going to I'm not going to go too much more into detail of what they've already covered. But uh, for me, um, one of the things that that really struck me is that this this character of Rahim he functions in in some of the similar ways that uh, the idiot uh, by Dostoevsky functions in, and uh, I found that really fascinating because I think what what's so fascinating about the movie is not just the internal conflict of the main character as as he is sort of this blank canvas that people write meaning onto. But it's also a reflection of the broader society and the and the way that we view one another, the way that we treat one another, um, the way that we think about one another. And this movie really reveals some of those pieces, especially a world uh, connected through social media. So, friends, next week, if you follow us on the Facebook page, if you follow the show notes here, there's a new movie to, to watch. So we recommend you check it out. It's going to come out on Amazon Prime. The movie is called Kubo, and uh, it's an animated film. So I'm pretty excited about checking this out. It looks really beautiful. But as you think about leading your, your yourself or your small group through, through this video this week, uh, A Hero, here are the discussion questions that we'd love you to consider. So, so discussion question one is, after viewing a hero, what thoughts and impressions lingered as the credits rolled and beyond? Why? Question two, from a cinematic perspective, what did you enjoy about the film? What worked for you? What didn't? Three, how does the theme of temptation permeate the film? How does director Farhadi disorient us uh, the viewers by blowing up our presuppositions about who are the villains, the heroes, and who are the villains in the film. And then number four, how do both the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness and the characters in the film both underscore the subtle ways in which our cultural hero systems, under the influence of the principalities and powers, can hold power over us and challenge our fidelity and faithfulness to Jesus? So as you are watching this film, those are a couple things to keep in mind, some things to discuss with you and yours. Next week, week three, we're going to be meeting again on Wednesday night on Zoom. Again, we'd love to have you there, part of the discussion. But if you, uh, if you want, you could just keep tuned into this podcast, this very special Lenten podcast series. Um, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be releasing it again next Friday. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for joining us uh, during this Lenten season. We're really grateful to have you along for the ride. Elle, if people want to stay connected to the New Leaf Project, they want to stay connected to things going on, how do, how do they do that? 
Well, the best way to keep up with us is our website, newleafnetwork.ca. Lots of information about things going on there. Just a few things maybe to make mention that are coming up that you might find interesting. We are hosting a learning center. We've been doing them for the past few years. It's kind of like an online learning community. It's not a webinar. It's much more interactive. But coming up Friday, March 18th, 25th, April 1st and 8th, we are having in partnership with Ambrose University, Canadian Political Theology Conversation. Check it out on the website. You'll find it under the events section. It's going to be so awesome with uh, John Coutts, Ryan Turnbull, and a whole bunch of other guests. So if you've ever wondered, do we have Canadian political theology? What is that? Come, we're going to be hanging out with some students from Ambrose as well. So check that out online and come and join us. If you're interested in our podcast network, we actually have another podcast other than this. It's called True North Theology, also hosted by Ryan Turnbull. So if you want to listen to some more conversations about Canadian political theology, he has interviewed some stellar people from across Canada exploring that conversation. And if you are looking to be together in person, or are looking for a New Leaf event online, we are going live and in person. You can check us out, uh, newleafnetwork.ca slash the table. May 27th and 28th, we're going to be live McMaster Divinity College in Hamilton. There'll be an online um, option for that as well that we promise we won't overlook. But if you are feeling like you're weary from the pandemic and that you need to be together again, uh, to be refreshed, to lament, to experience joy, to find kinship together. We would love for you to come there and hang out with us. We've got some great speakers, great experiences, and some time to be together. So come and check us out. That's newleafnetwork.ca slash the table. All right, friends. Uh, it's been good to be with you this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.